0: So I want to talk to you this morning uh, out of Matthew. If you look in your Bible, the title of it is The Rich Young Ruler. And really that description comes from several accounts of this same uh, same conversation Jesus had with this young man. But I, I want to go ahead and put you at ease a little bit, okay? I believe in tension, not guilt. Somebody say amen to that. I don't think God guilts us into anything. I think he graces us into things. Did you hear that? Therefore, there is, no, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Get over the condemnation part. Get over the guilt. There's grace for that. But what often happens is when we talk about finances or money or offering or gifts to God or whatever you want to call it, we often feel that it's a guilt. They're like, I'm not doing enough. I feel guilty about it. Or this guy is just trying to get my money. The club is too. <laughs> The grocery store is too. But the grocery store doesn't want your heart. Did you hear that? They just want to sell you groceries. The club doesn't want your heart. They just want you to come in and give money. God wants your heart. So we're gonna have a conversation about that, but I want to I want to get over this guilt thing right up front. That's for TV preachers. Not not me. And I also want to say this. I had a I had an email exchange with one of my friends this past week, and he's on a, uh, through his business, he's on a private Facebook group thing. Um, underground Facebook. No, it's just a private Facebook group. And, and, a, and there was a conversation about tithing in there. Should tithe on the gross or the net or the profit or whatever. And th- th- can anybody else raise their hand so that gets confusing? Doesn't it? You're like, I don't know what I should do. So we're going to talk about that a little bit and hopefully you can breathe a breath of fresh air at the end of it. Um, but I believe we're going to talk the most this morning about our hearts and what God wants. Amen? So not just stand up one more time before you go to sleep. Before you turn on Facebook. You guys think I'm new to this. I sat in church all my life. I know you think about other things. I've never been that funny. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. Just then a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Don't give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, if you have the capability to highlight this, underline it, bookmark it, whatever you want to do, underline this part right here, then come follow me. Come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Father, I pray that there that we cast off everything that hinders us, Lord, from following you. Every sin that would entangle us, Lord. Every, every heart condition that would keep us from fully following you. I pray that we cast it off today. God, and we'd run hard after you and your will for our lives. We thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Everyone said. Amen, amen. All right, you can sit. We, um, we sort of hit on this a couple weeks ago, but um, you know it's easier to follow, it, 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 it's easy to follow the rules when you just think about it, right? That this young, young rich ruler guy comes to Jesus and says, hey, what, what must I do to be, uh, have eternal life? You know, he recognizes Jesus has some authority in this area. And he says, good teacher. And Jesus says, hey, I just want to give you up front. If you're, if you're giving me that title, you do understand that the only, you know, God's the only good one here. And so Jesus says, well, obey the commandments. Well, which ones do I have to obey? And then he, and he lists them off, you know, do not murder. <sighs> Done. That's easy. Don't commit adultery. Never have. He goes, honor your mother and father. Sure. He goes down through the list. And the guy says, I've kept all of them since I was young. What else do I need to do? And so what strikes me right at the beginning is that aren't we a culture of, like, tell me what the minimum requirement is, right? Tell me what the minimum requirement. What what do I do? What do I need to do to get by on this? I I used to always say, uh, in reference to tithing, people when, when the tithing question would come up, we, we'd have this conversation that, that, okay, they'd say, well, tithing's not in the New Testament. Oh, you got me there. You win. <laughs> but Jesus Jesus never said, I'd like you just to follow a rule with being generous. And so I, I sort of looked at tithing in my life as, you remember in like 1996 when you had a computer and it had a... Um, I remember that's the year my wife and I got married, and it had a it had a monitor that you had no more room on a desk. You know, you remember those? And uh, and you would buy a program like you get an AOL CD in the mail. Didn't you get one of those once a week. I'm like, I you could save a lot of money. I already have AOL. I'm already waiting 75 minutes a day to receive email. I don't need another disk. But on the disk, you would see minimum operating requirements, and it would say something like Pentium. You know, 156 megs of RAM, and not even one gig, of like 500 megabytes of storage. And you and I remember thinking, I'll never need a computer bigger than this one, man. This is screaming. But you, you wouldn't buy that computer just what they said on the disk. You'd buy a Pentium too. And you'd get a whole gig of storage and you, you'd get 256 RAM and you'd think, man, I'm, Mike, I can, I can check my email and run the AOL chat at the same time. <laughs> like, this is unbelievable. So, so I never bought a computer trying to be minimum requirement for one program. I always wanted to, I always wanted to get a computer that would do more than just one thing. Amen? Everybody understand that? But, but, but in but in our lives, we tend to gravitate towards minimum requirements like your oil change in your car. Nobody goes, every 2,000 miles, man, I want, to be above, I want to be above average on oil changes. You're like, how, really, how far can I stretch this? I, when I pull the dipstick out, there's still oil on it, and it drips. It's not all clogged up, so I'm thinking I'm good. I'm just like, hey, it's still there. Put it back in. I think the color has something to do with it. Like when it gets really, really dark, you should probably consider Jiffy Lube. But the issue comes into my heart is not in my oil change. I don't wake up in the morning thinking, Lord, I, man, I really, really, I'm all into this. I want to make sure I got the best oil. I don't. So with the oil, I'm looking at minimum requirements, right? What, what do I gotta? Can I get a $19 oil change somewhere, please, and that I don't have to get out of the car and somebody cleans my windows? So, a lot of times, in our thought process, we are looking for minimum requirements. That's why we have arguments about the tithe. Because we're thinking, okay, God, is it 10% on what? Is it it 10% on my gross? And this this sort of uh, Facebook conversation went back and forth, and my buddy sent it to me and said, hey, what do you think about this? He wasn't even involved in the conversation. He just captured it and sent it to me. And I said, look, I I never want to be average, Okay. Like, I was born below average height for a male. And that started me off not wanting to be average in anything else. (laughs) Do you ever think about that? Like, do you wake up in the morning going, man, I want to go to work. I don't want to stick out. I don't ever want to get another raise. I just want to blend into everybody, do my job, go home. I hope the boss never knows my name. I just want to be unnoticeable. Average. So I, I emailed him back and said, man, I, I never wanted to be average and I know you don't either. He's a really aggressive guy. I know you don't want to be either. So so I kind of throw out the whole what's the minimum requirement thing. I want, to, I want to over and above, man. Come on. Like, I want to kill it. I don't want to just be average. Then he emailed me back and said, dude, I was just trying to figure out if you wanted to go to lunch. Why'd you write a book? <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought you wanted my advice as a pastor. So... What you find is this guy comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And and I want you to know he's, he's in the culture, so he's probably already doing all the things that at that point in time they deemed necessary. Like, I've kept these since I was a kid. I'm giving the tithe. I'm doing. I'm following the rules. And Jesus says, well, here's the rules I want you to follow. Well, what you have to understand in this man's context of following the rules, they were different from Jesus's, right? Because he said, thou shalt not murder. Well, done. I haven't killed anybody not planning on it. But what Jesus started addressing in the New Testament was not whether you actually killed somebody, but whether you thought about it or not. Guilty. Look at your neighbor and say, guilty. Look at your neighbor and say, I thought about killing you one time. But God gave me Grace. I know the thoughts of every wife in here. you standing there at the dinner table like, I'll stab him right in the neck with this knife. When you sat down at the table and the guy said, I thought we were going to get green beans. Yeah, in there. Dodged it. I was like, God, thank you for reflex. I mean, I'm just like, whoa, I didn't see the knife coming. Good thing you didn't kill me, but God knew you were thinking about it. So the issue is, is that Jesus had already transitioned into dealing with people's hearts, and this guy was thinking about minimum requirements of actions. I've never committed adultery with anyone. Jesus turns it into, well, have you ever looked at another man's wife with lust in your heart? So you've, you've went ahead and done that. And so this guy was still stuck in the, what, what are the rules I can follow? Because Following the rules are easier than committing your whole heart to it, right? Because watch this. I, I don't know. I, I I grew up in the '80s when um, Magnum PI and MacGyver and uh, Dukes of Hazard. And the ridiculous thing is, is, my parents used to make me go to bed at eight thirty, and 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 those shows would come on at eight and go till nine o'clock. So I would think. Is this some sort of punishment that I gotta go to bed right in the middle of MacGyver? He's making the bomb out of a pair of pantyhose, and I can't even figure out what's going to happen. And you want me to go to bed at eight? So I would follow the rules, but my heart wasn't in it. Because I thought as soon as my as soon as I get out of my own, like nine. As soon as I get out of my own, I'm watching MacGyver till the end. I'm looking at my brother, cheers. I'm gonna say, Mom and dad go away. We're staying up past nine. <laughs> Guarantee that. I'll obey the rule, but my heart's not in it. Not, not, in, not anywhere near in it. You know, they used to make us come home at a certain hour. And I grew up in Inwood. Y'all probably don't know nothing about South Berkeley. <laughs> but in South Berkeley, back then, there used to be a Hardee's. Anybody remember Hardee's in South Berkeley? There used to be a Hardee's in South Berkeley. And that's where you hung out. It transitioned into Food Lion later on, but that was never real. Those were posers at Food Lion. started out at Hardee's. And so we would hang out at Hardee's, and, and my parents would make me come home. My heart wasn't in coming home. Everybody was at Hardee's. That's where we're hanging out in the parking lot, being cool. Hey, you got to be home. Why? My heart's not in this. I'm going to obey you because I think you're going to beat me when I get home if I don't. But I'm going to obey you, but my heart's not in. As soon as I get out on my own, I'm staying out at Hardee's till they shut that place down. Right? You're like, I always knew he was a dork. Watch this. It is really easy to obey rules and have your heart far from God. It's easy to do that. Matter of fact, uh, Paul Paul tells the uh, Philippian church. He said, "Man, you guys, you guys think you have something to brag about? I got a lot of things to. If we're going to talk about confidence in the flesh and able to keep rules, I got more to brag about than any of you." And and he goes through this little this little rant when he's writing to the Philippians, in chapter three, verse. Starting verse four, he said, if someone else thinks they have the reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. He said, I came from, the, I came from good stock, man. I came from better stock than most of you. I came from the, a great lineage. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law of Pharisees, I could keep every rule. I could keep every rule. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. But he was still an enemy of God. He said, I could keep every rule in the book. And yet he was still an enemy of God. And God stops him on the roads of Damascus. And he says, listen, why are you persecuting me? He said, I don't even know what you're talking about. He said, I'm Jesus. Why, who are you persecuting? And God had to interrupt him and show Paul that it was more condition of the heart than keeping all the rules. And so, so it transforms his life. To the place where now he says your ability to keep the rules isn't even something to brag about. And yet we're constantly looking for the minimum requirement, right? The guy comes up to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? To, to have eternal life. And Jesus says, well, father, well I've done all that. What else? And then he hits him with the tank. Because I don't know about you, but Jesus intimately knows your heart condition. He knows mine. And when we get to that place where we're saying, hey, I feel like I'm following the rules pretty good. I feel like I'm getting it done. I feel like I'm a good citizen Come to church and I do the right thing. And I give when they pass the offering plate around and I do. And and, and and then Jesus, you'll say, Lord, is there anything else you want me to do? Boop. Just pokes you in that one little spot. You're like, oh, whoa, hey, wait a second. So Jesus, the guy says, "What? what else do you, what else, anything else? I just want to make sure I'm keeping all the rules. Anything else? Jesus says, sell everything you have and give to the poor. What, 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 wait, a, wait a second. That's, that's not really keeping a rule. I don't see the rule. I, I don't see where that's a rule. The, the, sell everything you have, keep, give it to the poor, come follow you. I don't, I don't, I don't see what, what the thing is. And, and just in case you think this was a harsh thing for Jesus to tell the rich young ruler, he had said the same thing to Peter when they were fishing, the best day of their life, the best catch of fish they had ever, the miraculous catch of fish, your Bible calls it. And, and, and at the best economic prosperity moment of Peter's life, Jesus looks down at him and says, Hey, drop your nets, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. The difference between the two is Peter's heart went with Jesus, and the rich young ruler had a problem with it. Now watch this. Did you put your ring back on? Oh, she got it off easy. Watch this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it a little... Um, illustration for you, maybe help you figure this out. So I read a book, I read a book um, a little while ago called The Plastic Donut. I recommend it for you, I'm I'm passing them out right now, Plastic Donut. Um, And he he talks about when you're a kid, or or when you have kids, uh, and and my wife and I have three of them, we don't play with toys anymore with them, because they're older. But when they did play with toys, especially my two daughters, they play you know, like have tea or want to fix your breakfast, you know, the little, the little um, kitchen, McDonald's kitchen. So we started off right at the beginning, like just fry it. <laughs> Got the McDonald's kitchen, put it on the thing, and, you know, be really rude at the window and ask me what I want, right? <laughs> so um, so what would happen is this, is that when I was playing, we'd play out with the kids, um, they would bring me plastic food. Right? On a plastic plate, plastic eggs, plastic biscuit, plastic bacon. And they would say, Daddy, look, look, we fixed you breakfast. And I would be like, get away from me, kid, that's stupid. That's plastic. (laughs) No, 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 no. You don't do that, right? right, Don't do that. (laughs) Come back to me when you're old enough to cook real food. No, no, don't do that. No, what I would do is I'd be like, Oh man, that's so great. You fixed me breakfast. And then you take it and you'd go, you know, you, and you're like, ah, oh, oh, and you put it back, you give it back to them, and they, even though it was still whole, they would think you had eaten it. And, um, and then they would run back to the McDonald's thing and they would fix some more fried stuff and they would bring it back to you, and like, Daddy, here's some more. And, and you would take it again. This is so good. Here's the issue it meant, it meant nothing to me, right? I don't need a plastic plate of plastic eggs. But the thing that made it meaningful is that it was meaningful to my kid. So when it was meaningful to my kid, it became meaningful to me. Okay, follow me on this. When it was meaningful to my kid, it became meaningful to me. And I would sit there and I would participate in the absurdity of eating plastic food. Can I just say that God doesn't need your money? Let's get that clear and out of the way. God's not up there like standing on the heavenly corner where Chick-fil-A is in Lowe's and Lowe's and with a bucket out trying to get me. God's not doing that. He's not going, I hope Hedgesville Church gives this morning. Oh, whoa, it was a tough week. No, he said he supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory, right? But if it doesn't mean anything to you, then it doesn't mean anything to God. Okay, watch. I'm going to use my wife's wedding ring as an illustration. Now, I know some of you ballers out there bought your wives bigger wedding rings than I did, but this was 20 years ago. Get there. Um, <laughs> so this is <was> 1995. <laughs> 1995. Did, we buy it? did I buy it in 96? Bought it in 96. I was in love with her in 95. That's why, that's why I got my dates confused. Because I was like, man, I'm whatever. So I bought this ring, 1996. We got married in August of 1996. Now, just to give you a little context about my life in 1996. Um, and I told this story before, and I got mean messages on Facebook afterwards making fun of me. So please don't. Um, But I worked at the Martinsburg Mall as a security guard at the Martinsburg Mall. And last time I told this story, some young punk who I know uh, texted me and said, you're a mall cop? And I'm like, (laughs) it was more important than that. So in 1996, I made $6.25 an hour. There's some of you that just turned... 16 years old, and you're going to go get a job, and you're going to make more money than I did. You could get your first job and make double what I did when my wife and I got married. Don't talk to me about the struggles real. (laughs) So back then, I made $6.25 an hour at that job, and then I worked a loss prevention job at Sears, doubling up at the mall, if you know what I'm saying. At uh, Sears for $6.50 an hour, thought I was making big money, then quarter raise. So that, And I'd work 80 hours a week sometimes, because I loved her, man. And I don't know about you, but, but 80 hours a week at six twenty-five an hour equals $12.50 an hour at 40 hours a week, and that's still impossible, right? So back then, though, I went into a jewelry store in Inwood... And I went in and said, man, I got a special wife. And I'm sure they'd heard that a thousand times. I said, I want to buy a ring. And he, he pulls out. He said, I, I got a diamond that I think you'd be interested in. Now, this isn't the biggest diamond you've ever seen by any stretch. But it's got a certificate with it. Some of you know something about cut, clarity, and color. And this one's is really high on the list. And he said, I've got this documentation here with it, and it's this, this, this. And I was like, man, that's it, baby. That's it. And he said, I'll put it in a setting for you. I'm like, one of a kind. How much are we talking about? We can do it for 1000 bucks. I was like, dude, I make $6.50 an hour. Do you know how many 6 dollars an hour it takes to make 1000 More than I got right now. But we did it. I said, she's so special. Now, that was 20 years ago. 20 years ago. And, um, and she still wears this ring. Matter of fact, I put some diamonds on the side of it. That's actually been a long time ago, too. <laughs> um, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. <laughs> Watch this, though. Watch this. If I would look at my wife today and say, hey, listen, I love you so much. And she remembered the history we had of me overextending myself to prove it 20 years ago. But it's been 20 years since I've ever done anything like that again. Don't you think her opinion might change? Because... Because we'll say this, well, the amount doesn't matter. Let me, re- let me rephrase the story. What if I had um, been telling my wife, my, my girlfriend at that time for a year, man, I love you. We're going to get married. We're going to get married. As soon as I get the money together, I'm going to buy you a ring. We're going to get married. I'm going to get you a good one. I'm going to get you a real nice ring. And and, like, and she sees me come home with a brand new sports car. She sees, I, I come up to her house. I'm like, listen, I couldn't pass it up. Man, this car, when we get married, you're going to be able to drive it. Not until then, because I don't <laughs> fully trust you, you know what I'm saying? But, but when we get married, you're going to drive. Look at this car. In this car amazing? This car, you know, it's been part of my dream. I'm, I'm 20 years old. It's been part of my life dream to own this car. And I just, it was a great opportunity. I had to have it. And, and by the way, I stopped by the jewelry store and got you a ring. And it was like a $250 ring. Which one do you think she's going to think I gave my heart to? The car or her? I would hope she'd say her, but I probably doubt it because you know what? The amount does matter. Now, what we get tied up with is trying to figure out trying to figure out the rules of what the amount should be. When God says the amount should be enough to make your heart go towards me. So watch this. The amount for my kid meant a lot to them at that moment. But 20 years later, they better not be bringing me, for Christmas time, plastic eggs. (laughs) You're the greatest dad ever. We fixed you plastic eggs for breakfast in bed this morning. (laughs) Madeline, you're 18 years old. You know how to use a stove. What are you bringing me plastic eggs for? Well, we just wanted to let you know our heart. You must hate me. <laughs> Let me give you a little practical definition about that. The way it happens with tithing. Watch this. When Beth and I first got married, we didn't we didn't make any money. We, uh, I, I, um, by the grace of God, this guy we worked with rented us an apartment on John Street, uh, uh, half of a townhouse for or half of a house for three hundred and fifty dollars a month. I would talk to him at work, man. We're like, dude, I work here. Like, I'm not making any money. What do you think? You know, and so they finally got down to $350 a month. (laughs) That's crazy, isn't it? Sometimes I want to move back into that house. (laughs) So, so let's, let's just for, for, for definition's sake, let's say we made $20,000 a year, which I didn't. So if I'm tithing on $20,000 a year, that's, help me out. $2,000, Two thousand dollars. I just want to make sure everybody knows what a tithe is—ten percent, right? So two thousand. So to, if I make twenty thousand dollars, yes, two thousand uh, dollars that year. And now I've got to live on what eighteen thousand dollars. I just bought my wife in a one thousand dollar ring, so that means I live on seventeen thousand dollars. So what happens though is you don't stay at twenty. So what happens though is now you make fifty. And what's the tithe on fifty thousand? Five. You're catching on. Tithe on fifty is five thousand dollars. So now I have what forty-five thousand dollars to live on. Now we're getting somewhere. God's blessing me. Easier to live, right? And then and then what happens is I make hundred thousand dollars, and I and then a tithe is what ten. But I get to live on what? 90. And I know you're sitting down, you're like, God, I don't think, I don't think we're going to make it. The second house we bought down at the beach. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to I don't know if I'm gonna be able to tithe this month, Lord. Jeez. Now you make $200,000 a year. And what's your tithe? Now you're going, Lord, the boat needs a new engine. I don't know if I'll be able to make it on $180,000 a year. The boat needs a new engine. I gotta I gotta remodel the kitchen, bathroom, living room, and all the kids' rooms in the same year. I gotta, Lord, you know I got you know I got things to do. And we we wonder why God's not impressed with keeping the rules. Because you can keep the rules and your heart be so distant, it's not funny. I can keep the rule, but hate the rule the whole time I'm keeping it. And so what happens is what we find out from the plastic eggs. From, from the kids is if it means a lot to me then it means a lot to God and I don't know about you but there's been seasons in my life where, where you can tithe and you just don't even think about it now I know some, some of you may not be there yet and you may be thinking 10% of what I make right now that's impossible and I would applaud yes it is but 10% <laughs> God didn't want me to say that But what happens is is that means a lot to you right now. And so guess what? It's going to mean a lot to God. Because remember our our gifts to him are like plastic donuts, are like plastic eggs because because he doesn't need them, but what happens is is when it means a lot to us, he pays attention. And so so we get in this argument over tithe on net gross or I'm like, yeah, but at some point in time, the tithe has become meaningless. I'm just following a rule now. It doesn't even, I don't even know it goes out anymore. And we have conversations like, man, you need to budget your tithe. You need to budget your tithe. And I think that's a good practical thing, but it also could be a very dangerous thing where like, I just budgeted 10%. It's not a big deal. I'm making $100,000 a year. I can live on 90 and not even blink. So so what we do is we pray nonstop to get God's attention, and yet our actions are far from that, right? God, you've got to pay attention. God, you've got to... And he's saying, I want to, but your heart's not turned towards me. So the minimum requirement trips us up. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we offering him? Jesus knew with this guy. I need to, if he's going to turn his heart towards me and follow me, I've got to deal with where his heart is right now. If you're going to follow me, like Peter, James, and John, and all these other guys, where they dropped their nets, came with me, and became fishers of men, I knew when they gave that up, their hearts turned towards me. And so if you're going to follow me, I I need to get your heart to turn and follow me. And in that moment, the issue with the guy's heart was that it was tied up in his treasure. Okay, watch this. Because some of us think, some of us think that that where our heart is, that's where we put our treasure. And that may be true, but I want you to listen to something. Where you put your treasure drags your heart with it. And and people used to say stuff like, oh, you show me your checkbook, I'll show you what's important to you. You can do that. But here's what happens. Wherever you put your money, it will drag you whether you want to go there or not. It drags me to the grocery store every week. And I can tell you with my feet dug into the concrete ground, I do not want to go there. I went there by myself yesterday and the kids I thought was so proud of me. I was just like, I'm not even thinking about killing anybody, Lord. I'm in this place. I got your peace. Don't do this to me all the time. So so what happens is this what you have to realize is is that if 10%s not a treasure then it's not going to drag your heart if if what you're doing isn't a treasure to you then it's not your heart's not going to go with it and so that's why our hearts can get tangled up in mortgages. That's why our hearts can get tangled up in cars. That's why our hearts, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's not because, you, it's not because your heart went there first. It's because your treasure drug it there. So Jesus is looking at this guy and says, and says, listen, I need to address this one more issue. You've put all your treasure over here and so it drug your heart with it. And what I need to do is I need to deal with the issue to get your heart out of bondage i need to get your heart released so it could come follow me because i don't want your treasure without your heart (laughs) what if your kid walked up to you when they were three years old and went here's some plastic eggs dad thanks you'd be like what 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 did I do to you? No, no, it's just a stupid plastic egg. Thanks for the Christmas gift. You Can take it back now and eat it? I hope you choke to death. But, and you're like, well, that obviously doesn't mean anything to my three-year-old anymore, right? Don't we do that to God sometimes? Here it is, Lord. You've blessed me so much I don't even miss it anymore. There it is. I got so many toys in the room that I can, I can give you the plastic eggs and not miss them. I don't even care if you give them back. You know what? We used to do with my kids' toys, when they stopped playing with them, we'd throw them away. Or give them to somebody else. She said give them to somebody else. I threw some of them away. <laughs> it's, it's difficult, isn't it? To turn our hearts. Watch this. Does your gift indicate you're actually following? I would like to pose to you if the band could come. That Jesus didn't want his things, he wanted his heart. Because the because the the command at the the end of the conversation it wasn't, I want you to give me all the stuff you have. He said, I want you to follow me. He said, I want the, the end game is you following me. Where I will supply all of your needs according to, you, to my riches and glory. Well, I will take care of you. Where, look, see the bird right there? It doesn't it doesn't miss a meal. It, it does fine. I take care of that thing. Well, how much more would I take care of you? It's not, I don't want your stuff. I want you. But in order to get you, I've got to get you through the stuff. I've got to have you think about it a little differently. So watch what, watch what happens here. Matthew... Chapter 6, verses 19, do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust, vermin destroy, and thieves break in and steal, but store yourself treasures in heaven. Where none of that stuff happens, right? For where your treasure is, it's going to drag your heart. Watch this. 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians chapter 8, he starts talking about the gifts the Macedonians gave to the, Jewish, to the church in Jerusalem. And, and the Macedonians were ex, in extreme poverty at the time. Extreme poverty. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, hey, listen, I want to let you know, out of their extreme poverty, they gave. It's up there. The grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. It says, for I testify that they were given as they were able. So let's start there. It says they gave as they were able. So, so they had this deal where they said, Lord, I know this isn't a big gift. We're poor people. I know it's not a big gift, but it's what I got. It's, it's what I have access to right now. It's what I got. And, and I'm gonna, I want to offer this to you. The plastic eggs in the plate's not a big gift. It's not a new car. It's not a new watch, but it's what your kid had at the moment. And so they're offering it up to God. And, and they're saying, this is it's not much, man, but it's what I got. And it means a lot to me. And so I'm going to give it to you. And it was acceptable. Because Paul says, don't give out of compulsion. Don't give because some slick preacher told you to give. Don't give because some slick guy on television told you if you gave, you get a bunch back. Don't give for those reasons. Give out of what you're able to give. But then there was a transformation here. And it says, even beyond what their ability was, entirely on their own. It says, it says they gave the plastic eggs, but then they... Then they extended themselves even further. And I started thinking about that. I started thinking, wow. There's been in my life times where I wanted to get God's attention. I wanted to get it by following the rules. And Paul, we already talked, Paul said, man, following the rules is junk. God just doesn't want rule followers. He wants your heart. He wants you to follow him. And so I started thinking there was times in my lives where, where I was offering him up things that didn't matter anything to me, but I wanted to get his attention with it. Lord, I'm tithing. And what he was saying back to me that I couldn't hear, is like, Chris, that's not even a significant thing for you anymore. That's just, it's, in, it's part of your budget. You just write the check out. You don't even think about it. Yeah, Lord, you're right. But let me tell you what God will do that oftentimes as a dad, I wasn't. There were times where I was busy and my kids would do that. They'd be fixing their little tea party or something. Or they'd be fixing their McDonald's deep fried everything, getting it ready. And I'd be busy doing something else and they'd walk up to me and they'd say, hey dad, do you want to? I fixed you breakfast. And I'd say, hey listen, uh, uh, thanks, but dad's really busy right now. And I would kind of just brush them off. Come on, don't look at me with those daggers. You did it too, right? I'm just brushing my back. Hey, dad's busy right now. I gotta, I'm, I'm doing something important. You know what God showed me in this whole thing is that there's never been once that he's ever done that. That if we will follow the Macedonian church, that if we will turn our hearts towards him, our treasure will will drag our hearts towards him, that we will will not get hung up on just following rules of I give it 10%, am I giving too much, am I giving too little? But we will just have a heart turned towards God and offer up gifts to him that that are meaningful to us. You know what he'll do every single time? He'll say, hold on, everybody, hold on. Now here's an offering that means something. He did it in the temple that day when he was sitting down facing where the people were dropping in all their offerings. And he, and he called the disciples around him. He said, hey, hey, pay attention here. Watch this. He said, see all these rich people coming in, putting in their offerings? It doesn't mean anything to them. It doesn't mean anything to them. They're just dropping it in the bucket and going on living their lives. It doesn't mean anything. But see this woman here? She gave everything that she had. And it was pennies compared to what they put in. But I'm going to stop the whole deal right here. Gather you guys around me to point out that her faith is unbelievable. That she gave what mattered to her and it got my attention. And I want to make sure you write this down later so everybody can read it. Her faith meant a lot to her. Her gift meant a lot to her, so I paused everything else that was going on to make sure you guys saw it because you were impressed with the guys keeping the rules. But I'm not impressed by that. I don't care how big the 10% gets. God's not impressed with that because you saw a little while ago, it goes like this, and it becomes insignificant at times. God wants our hearts and where our treasure is, our hearts will be dragged with it. And he will stop all of heaven and earth when you bring your plastic eggs to him. Every single time you say, Lord, I know you don't need it. I know, I know it's insignificant in the scope of all that you have, but this means a lot to me. And he will put everything else on pause and look down and you'll have the God of all creation's attention. Did you hear that? He's not a dad like I was, where he's like, I'm busy, kids. I don't need any eggs right now. No, he says, stop everything. I need to pay attention to this right now. I hope that excites you this morning. Because here's why it should excite you. Stand up. Shut it down. Here's why it should excite you. Because it doesn't matter how much you make, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if it compares to the person that sits beside you. That is the most relieving thing that I could ever say this morning, that you're not compared to anyone else. Somebody say amen. Oh man, I'm so thankful for that. In your situation, God knows what's meaningful to you right now. And that's all he asked is for your heart. So does the amount matter? You better believe it does. It matters because it's got to matter to you. And when it matters to you, it matters to him every time. And so I'm praying going forward that we'd be a church that wouldn't just follow rules, but our hearts would be turned towards him and our treasure would go with it. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us. Lord, we're blessed people. We wanna make a commitment to you this morning that we're not a minimum requirement church, God, but we are a church that their heart, our hearts are turned towards you, God, and where our treasure is, our hearts will be also, Lord. Our treasure is in the kingdom. God, we pray that you teach us how to follow you well. We pray that our gifts will be significant to us and then to you, Lord. We pray that there be a great tension in our lives, Lord. And it would be towards you. We thank you for this opportunity today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, could you give him honor and glory one more time?